Welcome to the Black Knight Nation podcast. I'm your host, Alan Trudinato. The Black Knight Nation podcast is sponsored by Higher Echelon. Higher Echelon is a company run by Joe Ross. Joe Ross, former Army football player, former Army assistant coach, former Army officer. We thank Higher Echelon for sponsoring this podcast. Um, Steve Anderson here today, co-host with us. Steve, before we start with our very special guest, do we have a... I think you, you had a birthday that just passed, possibly. Huh. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, last Monday, man. I turned uh, 34. And uh, oh, the, back, the back and knees feel it for sure. But it doesn't it doesn't help that I'm still every bit of 235, too, and I'm still running five miles. So that, that definitely doesn't help. But, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, good. Another, you know, very blessed, 34 years old. Your wife, three kids, man. It's good stuff. I call it the Bo Jackson year, I guess, right? I mean, that's the first 34 I can think of when I, I think of that number. I always, you know, you hear the Jordan year 23. But let's welcome our special guest tonight. This is somebody we, we want to have on for a while now, and we got uh, Caleb Campbell on. Caleb, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us tonight. Gentlemen, thanks for asking, and thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And, and Stephen, happy belated birthday. Yeah, man. It's good seeing you, Caleb. You too, brother. Yeah, so um, normally when we start these podcasts, we kind of get to the path to West Point and basically, you know, how you discovered them or how Army discovered you. I mean, I guess, Caleb, when you came in, is it late Todd Barry or is it Bobby Ross when you recruited? Yeah, so Todd Barry and his crew, um, God, I wish I remember the tight end coach that uh, actually recruited me from Todd Barry's team. So you might know, I'm not for sure, but yeah, he was who recruited me. And then when I, I went to prep school, uh, which was kind of, it was in Eatontown, New Jersey. We went to school in freaking trailers. Um, like honestly, like RV trailers were our school. And uh, that's when Barry got fired and coach Ross came on. Wait, so, uh, just, okay. just so I got that time, that timing down. So you recruited by, Tom Todd Barry and his staff, the tight end yeah. coach specifically. How long at at prep um, were you there before? Was it right after that football season, or or, or yeah? What? I think it was. I think it was uh, right at the end of the football season. I remember being in the gym with um, with John Wright. You guys remember oh, yeah. John Wright? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we were talking, and Brian Chamora was there. Uh, and we were talking like, what are we going to do? You know, Todd Barry recruited us and brought us in. And now, you know, a new coach is coming in. He's going to probably have his own guys. Uh, and so we were having a hard conversation. I think we were really just looking for any excuse to quit and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but nonetheless, we, we stayed. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the theme from a bunch of uh, Army football players is, you know, uh, you know, every day you think about leaving. <laughs> And then somebody says something, you end up staying another day, and another day turns Absolutely. into a week, a year. Um, so uh, what, what was that? What was the recruiting process like, Caleb, for you as far as, like, what made you – was it, you know, prep not costing you any time if you could feel it out? Um, did they tell you you yeah. were prep early on in the recruiting, or is that something that came later? Yeah, there's a, there's a thing called ACT scores, Steve. <laughs> I know. Hey, you talk. Hey, you talk. I'm right there with you, Caleb. All right, I'm right there with you. So, uh, I, I I I did not score too high. Um, but honestly, I actually grew up in the Panhandle of Texas. So, like at the very top of Texas, that little Panhandle. 
um, seven miles south from the Oklahoma border. And at that time, there's been a lot of work that has been done to make that a kind of more established area for recruiting. Uh, because at, the, at my time in high school, nobody came to the northern Texas part of the state. Everyone could fly into Dallas. They can fly into Houston. They can fly into um, the, sub, the south parts of the state and find all of the recruits they needed. Um, and so it was just happening year after year where any one, two, three recruits that might be coming out of North Texas just would get overlooked. Um, I originally had a Division One offer to Tulsa, actually. Um, I went and visited Tulsa. I love Tulsa. Uh, and then again, a coaching change happened. And essentially, they had offered me a scholarship before I ride to Tulsa. And that was my only other D1 school. And then I got a phone call from the new coaching staff, basically discouraging me to go, hmm. if I can remember correctly. Essentially, kind of like they can't they can't rescind the scholarship, but they're kind of discouraging me to go because they did have their people that they were bringing in. Um, and then about that time, I got I started getting recruited heavily from West Point. Um, and I took a visit to West Point and I don't know if as a young kid, that's always had a deep desire to do something meaningful and to live a significant life and to make something of myself. Um, and really just to get out of my small town, uh, that had this perpetual cycle that seemed to take place where you graduated our hometown, you got caught up in the, the oil and gas industry, and you found yourself staying in the hometown. And the next thing you know, you're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, and you're dying there. And there's no shame in that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think my, mo my mom, uh, which, you know, she was very adamant on you're getting out and you're doing something with your life. Um, and so I think it was equal balance of me desiring to do something significant, doing something with purpose and doing something meaningful versus my mom telling me, bullshit, you're going to West Point. <laughs> uh, and, that, and that kind of started the journey. What, um, so, so after um, the, 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 ch the coaching change and, and Bobby Ross is coming in, um, yeah. where, do they see, where do you think you fit in there? Um, how does that work out? How does that transition work out? I have no idea. Actually, at prep school, I – I, I, I sucked at football. Like I was terrible. I think I, I was having a hard time adjusting to that lifestyle. Um, it's funny. I'm trying to think back at that time. It was just hard. I was miserable. Uh, I was this really like just deeply wounded boy. And this was my first time being away from my home. Um, and I felt just very vulnerable and exposed. And I had, and this is really all throughout my college experience and into my young, my adult life for so many years, just not having the, the tools or the awareness to know how to navigate that uncertainty, that vulnerability, those challenges, those social and emotional challenges that I was living with. Um, and so when I got to prep school, I, I sucked. Can I curse on this podcast? I fuck, I just yeah. sucked. Uh, <laughs> I was terrible. And so I honestly had no kind of idea of where I would fit or if football was going to be something that I would continue at the academy. What, what, yeah, we, um, what did, oh, go ahead, Steve. I was going to say the, um, you know, the common theme, and you mentioned a couple of guys earlier, um, is, and what we see is, you know, guys, you know, it's obviously always hard to leave your, your hometown. You know, I was lucky sure. enough. I was from Maryland. I was a five hour drive. So, um, you know, I always took guys back with me, you know, got them back to the home life, you know, kind of my, my parents were always, 
you know, willing to have multiple people over and stuff. And, you know, you mentioned Chimura. I remember Brian and uh, some of those guys. I don't know exactly who was with you at prep, but I remember that senior class. Um, and I, I have to kind of the, the, the theme is, is those guys kept you there. Um, yeah. Or or there was something that was built during that year where it was either, all right, I'm going to try it next year. Or there was something that wasn't finished as far as like, like you said, like, I know I'm better at football than what I just showed at the prep school. Like I can give West Point one year, you know, and then I'll leave. Right. That, that's yeah. kind of like the thing. So what was it about the prep or, you know, looking forward to going one year, at least at West Point, um, you know, cause I, I feel like that's how a lot of us attacked the Caleb was, you know, yeah. basically cutting a tree, right. You try prep school. All right. Like, I didn't really enjoy this, but I got through it. So I'll try one year at the Academy and see how that goes. Um, all right. Well, that wasn't so bad. I mean, it was bad. It sucked, but you know, at least, at least Mike's here and, and, and Brian's yeah. here and stuff like that. So just, just from your perspective, yeah. what, what was it at prep, um, that kept you? I, I think that's a, a big part of it. That's a good question, Steve. Um, I actually grew up, I don't know how much y'all know of this, but I grew up in a, a very hyper spiritual evangelical culture uh, did not drink, did not party, did not do anything that would ultimately uh, disqualify me from, you know, my perspective back in that day, disqualify me from really fulfilling God's purpose for my life. And uh, because I had such rigorous standards when it came to my faith in high school, I was extremely bullied. Um, I didn't, I truly, I did not have too many friends. I, I really didn't have any friends. I was, and by all intents and purposes for this conversation, I, I was a loner all through my high school. The only time people really loved me was when I was scoring a game winning touchdown or leading us to a state championship or to a, the state finals or whatever it was. Uh, but there wasn't a moment that went by as soon as I walked off of that field, uh, you know, there, there was shit that was going on and that took a really big toll on my life. And I remember when I was leaving high school, I was, having a conversation with someone I had never drank all throughout high school. And I remember opening up a beer with this one guy and I said, and I looked him in the eyes and I just kind of said, I'll do whatever it takes to belong. I'll do whatever it takes to fit in. Um, and that was a really big moment for me. And I, and I tell you that little bit of context because when I got to West Point or when I got to the prep school, um, I remember standing in the doorway of, Brian Chamora's room and just having a conversation with him and being like, I'm out, man, I'm out. And he just looked at me. He's like, bro, just let's go through the first semester together. Like, let's just go through the first semester together. Um, and let's see, let's just see how it works, you know? And there was a moment there where I felt like I belonged. I felt like I had found friendship. I felt like, you know, I didn't have to do life alone anymore. Um, and there was that deep belonging dynamic that I think really anchored me um, in a place where I would just, like you said, Steve, like just kick the can down the road and let's just go one more day. Let's go one more day. Let's go one more day. I'm miserable as fuck, but let's just go one more day. Uh, and so I think it's that dynamic of finding friendships, finding and feeling like I finally belong somewhere. Uh, that was monumental in my life at that time. And like you said, um, kind of earlier, and I don't, I don't know how true this is, or if you're just your hardest critic about you didn't play very well prep. Um, you know, and, and, you know, people, you know, like you said, people want to be around success. They want to be around, yeah. you know, players that are doing well. So for you to know that Brian was coming to you as truly as someone that you connected with, um, you know, not because of how you played on football, you know, feel that was just maybe one thing, but it's like truly like 
whatever it was through, you know, beast, you know, Connect Connect Candidate or whatever it was out of the academy, whatever class you guys are both looking at each other at, you know, statistics or whatever, whatever they, you know, in what was it, intro to like algebra at the principal or something? It was like, it was like something you take in high school or something that prepared you for uh, for your first year. But, um, I, I, you know, that, you know, I, you know, I didn't experience that, Caleb, but I can imagine just like that moment, like that, almost like, um, you know, that, that, pivotal moment in your life where you're like oh man like so this is what it feels mm-hmm. like or this is mm-hmm. this is something that I, I definitely want to continue to see where this goes yeah absolutely and it, and it caused a lot of challenges down the road at west point where like i found my group like i found my boys um and like i was very very gatekeeper of our friendships because i didn't want to let anybody in that could jeopardize my sense of belonging in my little community. Um, and that, that obviously it becomes really toxic and I portrayed several toxic tendencies uh, during that, that time at school. Um, but yeah, I think this idea of belonging, and I think there is something about the brotherhood, you know, it's, it's I think it's not just speaking to, um, you know, cadets necessarily at West Point, it's speaking to the deeper nature of what every core human desires and it's to find belonging in life it's like who am i where am i and or who am i why am i here and like where are my people at like truly where where are my people at because i think there's something that's so beautiful and magical that happens inside of us when we find ourselves in a group where we can find our people because what's happening when we're with our people is they're mirroring back to us who we are they're helping us see who we are as we stand in community as we stand in relationship I mean, it just speaks to the, the the profoundness of relationships and of community. And while I would have never been able to articulate it like that during that time of my life, um, it's apparent to me that's why it was so powerful and what kept me at that school. Yeah, that's, um, you know, the uh, it's impossible, to, you know, even at, you know, what, Kayla, you're, you're what, 37, 38 now? 37, yeah. Yeah, 37. 37. Uh, you know, I'm 34. Like the guy, the, the, the guy I was at 18, 19 years old. Uh, I mean, uh, one, uh, he wouldn't have a wife and three kids. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> by, you know, self-infliction and, you know, just being able to, you know, be around. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's good to, when you reflect and you see how you evolved, you know, through friendships, you know, one of the hardest things that I continue to, go through at West Point was, you know, my community, you know, people saying this isn't for me every year. It was either a linebacker buddy or it was somebody that I got close with that, um, you know, I was at class wait, wait. with or school with. Um, saying it wasn't for you. What do you mean? Like they, they left the academy or left prep school. Oh, okay. Right. And now I'm like, man, you know, what could I have done to keep him here? Or hmm. man, we were, we, we all want to leave. Like, that's not the point. The point is we chose to do this together um, or, or, you know, any, anything like that, you know, one guy gets kicked out for grades. One guy gets kicked out for this one thing, you know, anything like that. It's kind of like when you talk about a gatekeeper or like keeping close hold on your, on your inner community. Um, you know, that's what makes me think about, you know, I wasn't so much like, you know, my, my problem is I let anybody in my community. Now <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a piece of me everywhere, and now I don't know who I am. Um, yeah, that's good. First, um, 
you know, and then I, I let them in, I give them a piece of me and then they leave. And I'm like, I'm never going to get that back. So, um, kind of, uh, you know, it's just funny hearing, you know, you know, you know, a guy came three years, four years ahead of me going through the same thing. And it's, it's just a common theme that, that we hear. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, yeah, now the, back to what's up, Sal? What do you got? I know you. No, got I was some, just going to say, you know, by the end, right, Caleb, your your senior year, you're a captain. So by the end, but from your start to finish at West Point, there's certainly a uh, a period of growth there for you, no doubt, right? And not just on the field and off the field. So um, yeah, yeah, that's what that's why I was going to. I think I was more so just a bully. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, Caleb, hey, I'll be honest about. Now, now, now that we got you on the podcast, I told this story. Uh, who was it? Two weeks ago or something? Sat three weeks ago. I forget John who. John Voight, on. probably. I think John Voight, probably. Yeah, John Voight. I was telling him, you know, it was my my freshman year, your senior year, and uh, I had just got moved up to like second string or third string, and I got like eight plays, like where you saw it, right? Like where I wasn't like on down with like the I or H or whatever club or whatever. I got like eight plays, right? I got in the cold tub and I was, I had just gotten in the cold tub when you had come in and you were like, would you play for like five minutes today, man? Get out of the cold tub. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm, I'm good. I got, I got in. All right. I, I got my, I got my rehab. I'm good, man. <laughs> uh, something I would say. I will have to say um, your senior year was my first year on the beat, the full, full time ah. on the beat. And I don't know if you remember this, but every week you would give me your Heisman Trophy top five. Um, and and you, during the season, you also helped me out big time where you gave me you gave me a list, the full roster. I asked for Caleb, so what are some nicknames on the team? And you're like, well, I think I can get you more than just a couple. You came back with like a full sheet of nicknames for just about everybody on the roster that I wrote a story about. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, – my one that I remember the most is Tony Tow Truck Dace um, as one of them. And uh, I'm trying to think of a couple others. Um, I, I think that, that that team have Chase Presnicki on it or no? And Chase, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Nitro was one of them. Yeah, I Nitro. think maybe Fitty might have been for Steve. Maybe No, no, Fitty, wasn't, Fitty was not born yet. Coach Lyles did not dummy Fitty. The, the one you got to remember is Bone Saw. All right, Charlie Rockwood. Oh, yeah. Bonesaw oh, is ready. Yeah. Bonesaw is ready. So I'm actually. Uh, That's I'm actually, so good. I'm working for uh, Rock's old boss. He's my battalion commander, uh, and uh, I talked to him right before I got to you. <laughs> I was like, Bonesaw, what's up, man? He's like, Oh, I haven't heard that forever. <laughs> Dude, I remember him getting a sack and just being like, Ugh. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a long time. I don't remember that, Sal. Thank you for sharing it, though. No, I no. I mean, you. I was gonna say for a first guy year on my in the beat, you were you were the go to guy for me. Now you had, I think, v, was VD your other captain that yep. year or no? Yep. Yeah, you were more of my go to guy. I go to Mike, you know, and yeah, you got a little bit more like you know, you get a little bit more uh, juicier quotes from you, Caleb. So, so to speak, you know, <laughs> yeah, so. No, I can flatten my mouth. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't know if he was the older. I, no, he's not the oldest, but um, you, know, you had Jay Trim. Jeremy was a captain, I believe, because that was my freshman year. Oh, yeah. And it was and, uh, uh, Tony Fusco. Fusco, oh, Tony yeah. Fusco, yeah. Which is, uh, yeah. you know, I think that was just his, what, 11th year? 11th year, right? 2011 yeah. is when he passed uh, last week. Yes, or, it was recent. Yeah, wow. it was a uh, 
last week or it could have even been yesterday, to be honest, because uh, I was still yeah. – that was my uh, – I remember that going down because I was still there um, when that all went down. So, yeah, yeah, Tony, Tony, J-Trim, uh, you know, BD Strong, right? We had BD Strong everywhere in the in the stadium. And then, uh, yeah, Caleb. So, yeah, that, that was senior, good. That senior class was a good group. And you got – I mean, that was um, – that was Stan Brock's first year, right? So, I mean, that was a more transition for you guys, right, Caleb? I mean, you're yeah. being recruited by Barry's guys. You got Bobby Ross as your coach for a couple of years, and then Stan Brock your senior year. So, yeah, there was. Now that you say that, there was a lot of like, how how do you ever develop momentum when you're in so many transitions? You know, well, Caleb. I mean, that was your experience. You're four years ahead of me, right? Yeah. Then my experience was, uh, you know, at prep school, Bobby Ross is a coach. That's your junior year, right? Yeah. So senior year, my going into my freshman year Stan Brock gets the job and then my junior year right Stan Brock loses the job and then coach Ellerson comes in right so coach Ellerson oh wow we're talking a decade now of you know every couple years we're changing coaches um and it's no you know it's no surprise we you know seven and six five and seven three and nine right for for the better part of a decade decade but before before we get too before we get too crazy with his senior year and everything and we start forgetting about it i want to hear about caleb's freshman year because it's very hard to go through basic training well i'll I'll say cadet basic training um you lose weight you don't have you know you lose your fast twitch um (laughs) you don't really have the ability to to make a huge impact even though there's a bunch of guys under uh coach muckin that'll tell you differently i don't know they had to have changed it. I don't know. They, <laughs> but um, you know, coming coming in and, and making an impact as a you know as a you know as a freshman is, is tough. So, um, kind of like how did how did that happen? You know, new coaching staff, um, and then how did you kind of come on the scene your your freshman year? Yeah, man, I am not like this is great to actually have these conversations. I'm listening and I'm like trying to reminisce at the same time. Uh, it feels so fucking long ago and. Steve, you know, like you get hit in the head one too many times, you're suddenly like, how old am I again? <laughs> like, uh, but my freshman year, um, man, it was a hard year because I got in a lot of trouble um, with John Wright as my roommate. <laughs> wow. We, um, we, we John, Wright, third- John Wright to me was like the first Ted Bentler, right? Like he was yeah. the scariest. He was the scariest, craziest. Yeah, you did not want to cross, and you wanted to just make sure you you stayed out of his way if you could as an underclassman. But go ahead. Yeah, so that what was happened your- was that was my freshman year. And so at this time, my freshman year, I think, was the first year that your basic or your um, – your, uh, your what is it? Boot camp? Um, Beast Barracks. Beast Barracks. <laughs> the company that you're in, you, you usually get like scrambled and you go somewhere else. But I think my freshman year is the first year, maybe I think where we went into beast barracks and the company that we were in for beast barracks, we stayed in that company throughout the year. And I was like the only cadet in the Academy that had to get transferred to a different um, company (laughs) because John and I uh, made some pretty dumb decisions that landed us in trouble. But in regards to football, I, yeah, I think I walked over 105 hours my freshman year, my plea beer. Um, 
But in regards to football, I'm trying to remember. It was honestly kind of – I don't know what the hell happened. I remember my first ever play was against Louisville opening kickoff. And man, I don't, I don't know, Steve, who your equipment guy was. Was it Nick Dieterman? Was he, was Nick yep. there already? Yeah. Okay. So my freshman year, I don't think Nick was there. It was a different guy. And he was, God bless him, but a dumbass. Um, nothing on me fit. Like none of my equipment fit. And I just remember standing on the like opening kickoff in my helmet. It was like a new air helmet and it was like this big face mask. And I'm like, moving in it and i'm like trying to push it up so i can see where i'm running and it was against louisville and it was the opening kickoff and i remember making that first opening tackle and i remember getting up and being so fucking dazed and confused like what just happened i'm trying to like you know get fired up and i'm like did i just do that um but i didn't play much my freshman year just special teams until mid-season um, what happened was against Cincinnati and y'all will remember that game because it was like the first time we fucking won in like 19 games or something. Um, and so we were playing Cincinnati at home and Michael Resnick was like the, the goat. He was the big safety. Um, and then there was Rob Davis, who was another safety. Um, and then all of a sudden, right before halftime, I think I was fourth string. And all three guys, and it was the whip position because we were in a 3-4 at that time. It was a whip position, and all three guys went down with injuries. And I just remember, I can't remember who the damn coach was, but looking at me and be like, you're in. And it was one play before halftime, and I came up, I filled the outside third, and I made the tackle for, I think, a tackle for loss. And then we went, ran into halftime, and I'm thinking like, okay, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And honestly, I don't know if the fucking stars just aligned, but I came out and I just, I had an incredible game. I remember, um, you know, we were, we were winning, we were up and then they run a screen on the other side of the field uh, from where I was. And he just takes off and he's going to the house. And I remember hawking him from the other side of the field and punching out the ball from behind and forcing a fumble. Um, and that fumble basically secured us the game. But it was so funny, though, because I remember after forcing the fumble, I, I like jumped up to try to like high five. And one of their guys, one of the Cincinnati guys was like running towards me and he just plowed me over. <laughs> he like caught me in midair and my feet came out from underneath me. <laughs> but I was I was so jazzed. Um, and I, I guess I say all that I'm, I'm rambling a little bit. But my second the second half of that Cincinnati game that we went on to win you know, I had like six or seven maybe solo tackles. I had a forced fumble, had a PBU. I played really well. Um, and so I think I got a, a big vote of confidence then. Um, but then I remember next week we were going to Miami and playing, was it USF? Sal, maybe you remember? Uh, oh, yeah. Playing, yeah. I think yeah, we were playing sure. USF. And I remember John Mumford and like I'm, I'm, a starting, I'm the starting whip now. And I cannot get the defense this one play for the life of me. And he has to stop the play and start it again, stop the play and start it again. And finally, like, Caleb, what the fuck? And just reams me in the middle of the field. And I start crying. Wow. I literally started crying. I had an emotional breakdown. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I like, I'm not the guy for the job. And even like during boot camp or even during Beast Barracks, I remember Grievous, Chris Grievous and uh, Sean. Is it Sean and Chris? 
Revis, the twins, like they would study my position to help me out. Like I didn't, I honestly did not understand football. Like I truly did not understand football in high school. We didn't, all I did was fucking run fast and score touchdowns. It was like literally pitch to the left, pitch to the right. <laughs> and so I never understood football. And so I remember going into USF, not having much confidence. And it's the first time I'm starting. And I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that I had over 17 missed tackles that game. Wow. It was South Florida, by the way. It was South South Florida. Florida. Okay, yeah, yeah, South Florida. So I had had more than 17 missed tackles. It was, like, debilitating on how embarrassing it was, and I just got the shit kicked out of me. Um, And watching film that next day, I I ended up staying, kind of starting and playing the rest of the season because of those injuries. Uh, And then I I remember my freshman year ended with um, what was the Navy fullback that got looks – he was a senior. He was getting looks uh, in the NFL. Kyle Echo, probably. Kyle Echo. Yeah. And the only thing I remember is meeting him in the hole. And I was on the cover of the fucking Philadelphia Herald or whatever it was on like my back, like getting plowed over. And Kyle Echo has a full ball on the football. <laughs> and his head is down. And it was like Echo crushes for the win or something like that. And that was like my freshman year. So, yeah. you know, it wasn't looking very hopeful. <laughs> it honestly wasn't looking very hopeful in between you know you you had a good start and i'm I'm sure you're just being a little modest there were some good games in between you know the south florida and you know um and the uh you know the navy game you know that you played probably the what the second half so you probably played you had six maybe seven games under your belt um yeah which is what i mean which is huge i mean and that's Caleb and that, you know, and you know this, like that's how you build teams, right? Like not necessarily out of, out of injury, but you have guys that you have young guys that get those reps um, and then you have them for three years and they don't make those mistakes, you know, over sure. and over again, you know, you don't, you know, Absolutely. I don't know this to be a fact, but I, I doubt you missed 17 tackles in a game the rest of your career. You know what I, I mean? I was looking. Yeah, I was looking. No, I never did that again. But I was looking exactly. at the schedule. We had Cincinnati, and then we went to South Florida, um, which we actually ended up winning against South Florida. Yeah. Um, AA, Aaron Alexander, had a hell of a game. And then CJ Carlton-Jones had a hell yeah. of a game. Um, and then we played East Carolina, Air Force, Tulane, UAB, and then Navy. Um, I honestly, the only other game I remember was East Carolina, and I and I vaguely remember that game. Uh, but I think getting some reps, definitely to your point, Steve, like getting some reps and getting kind of, you know, finding a little bit of flow um, and feeling more and more comfortable in my skin and in my pads on the field. Um, that was that was really pivotal for me. Yeah, the um, it's what makes me, you know, keep going back to golf. Right, I shoot I shoot a hundred, but. I hit a fa- couple fairways and I make a birdie. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm coming back, baby. I got this. I'm gonna have a couple more. It never happens, but you know, it's t- to the same point, right? You 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 miss 17 tackles, but you have a PBU, right? And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah. I can. You know, you have those re- those things that are like, yeah, I can play. Ah, God, film's gonna suck tomorrow, but there's a couple of plays in it. there that that kept you coming back. And I know you say it was through injury, but. Um, and I remember Rob because Rob was one of our coaches um, at prep school, um, and uh, you know he was he was great. I mean he was he he knew the game uh, as a you know a, a coach could tell you the game. You know, sometimes, you, 
sometimes you can get coaches that are, you know, they just tell you to run faster or, or, or be stronger. And you're like, I, I, I don't yeah. have that capability. Like, how do I get smarter? Um, I can honestly of- tell you, like, contributing to my success as an Army football player was, like, Rob Davis and Taylor Justice. Oh, yeah. Um, they were incredibly talented and gifted football players, and they knew schemes. They knew the schematics. They knew – they understood football, and they taught me a lot. Um, and so I can say that, like, most definitely – and even just playing alongside Jordan Murray – um, especially, you know, going up, like he was fucking good. Um, and so there was just this uh, constant, you know, like pouring into me, pouring into me and pouring into me. So uh, I'm definitely grateful for those for those gentlemen. Yeah. So when your sophomore year, right, um, man, things were a little rough to start, but you guys got a little bit of a win streak that year. I saw you guys won four in a row. And that's also the year where you took a ranked Iowa State team to a touchdown game too. So, I mean, it starts to get a little bit more competitive. I'm guessing you're feeling a little bit more comfortable with the defensive schemes too, I'm guessing, sophomore year. Yeah, uh, sophomore year, yeah, I'm looking at Iowa State, Connecticut, Central Michigan, um, TCU. Yes, Air Force that year? We beat Air Force that year. I almost – I remember that game because I, I think I almost set like a, a national record for the most amount of touch – or most amount of tackles in a game. I, I was – I don't know, I think – close to 20 tackles. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I don't, I'm trying to remember what clicked honestly in soft my sophomore year. I know that we got our ass whooped at Boston college. And then when Baylor came to town, um, that was my first ever collegiate interception. Uh, I still got the, I think I still got the football somewhere actually. Yeah, nice. uh, um, but I, I, my sophomore year was like my, my standout year. Something, something shifted, something just I understood football I felt like playing safety and changing the defense and giving me like you know 10 to 12 yards off of the ball um and then having some quickness and having some change of direction and speed I just felt like really again everything kind of just fit you know and I think when it comes to football even especially in the league um goddamn like everybody's fast everybody's good um but finding the right spot the right scheme with the right players at the right time, like that's where real success happens. That's where things just really go to the next level. Um, and I think I found that uh, starting my sophomore year at the, at army. And unfortunately never found that <laughs> in the league uh, along with some other things, but yeah, it was good. It was a good sophomore season. Yeah. I, I, um, I remember there being uh, a lot of like, uh, not necessarily grumblings, but there was some nervousness about you really deciding to leave after your sophomore year because you had, you know, either you know whoever was talking to you or whatever you're being told, like, hey, like you're gonna get, you're gonna end up in the league. You have the size, you have the speed. You can't do that at West Point. So why don't you just, you know, come all over to Rutgers or, or you know, you don't have to move very far or maybe go back down to Texas. Um, I don't remember. Obviously, I was, at your sophomore year, I was still in high school, and I don't, I didn't know West Point that well yet. But once I got there, I kind of learned what you went through, you know, just from you and, and some other older guys, um, and from some coaching staffs about just how you know back and forth that that kind of that that going into your junior year was. Yeah, uh, my sophomore year again, I got in a lot of trouble, did some stupid shit. Uh, a group of us just like you know just this stupid shit. Uh, and I got in trouble and 
I think at, at my sophomore year is when things got really challenging for me, emotionally speaking. Um, I was experiencing success on the football field, um, but I was a ticking time bomb when it came to my emotional capacity. Um, I, I remember, honestly, if we just to talk about this, I, I hated my life. I had a lot of suicide ideation. Um, I didn't want to be there, but I felt trapped. I didn't feel like I could leave. I felt in leaving, I'd be disappointing everybody, especially my parents. Um, and then I kind of referenced it earlier. Uh, there was also this dynamic that, you know, I was fulfilling God's plan for my life. And so to walk away from West Point was ultimately to turn my back against God. And that was the way I kind of saw the world that day. And so I, I harnessed, I was able to harness my rage and my, my literally my sense of self-hatred um, in a way that really fueled me on the football field. But my sophomore year is kind of when it started to bleed out and bleed over into my everyday life. And I remember, you know, one day uh, having to leave class because I was kind of so angry about something and having a, kind of having a, an emotional break. And I asked the, the teacher if I could go see the doctor. I went and saw the doctor and the doctor told me to go see uh, the, a school psychologist. And I remember walking in and we had a conversation. He said, sit down and talk with me. And he asked a series of questions and he says, Caleb, has anybody ever told you that you are depressed? Like, and you're dealing with massive like clinical depression. And I was like, no, like, what are you talking about? And he said, you know, I would love to prescribe you something to help you with this. And, you know, in, in this moment when I should have been like, okay, this is going to help my emotional wellness this is going to help my mental health. Like, you know, like this is good for me. Okay, doc, like tell me what I need to do. You know, the, I only asked the doctor one question. I said, are these pills going to take away my rage? That's the only question that I asked him. And I remember that like it was yesterday. I said, are these pills going to take away my rage? And I remember looking him in the eyes and him looking back at me and looking kind of perplexed or a little confused and like, do you not understand what's going on in your life right now? Like truly do not understand. And I honestly, I went back and I, I dumped those pills down the toilet uh, because I, I could not jeopardize me losing my rage on the football field because I felt like that was my, that was my kind of my magic potion. That was my magic touch was having this, this absolute rage and hatred towards life. Um, but unfortunately it wasn't, it was my sophomore year that, that, like I said, started to bleed out and bleed over. And I walked around like feeling like an imposter uh, every day of my life, especially at West Point. But my sophomore year is when it got really bad, where I could tangibly feel like I was losing control and I was coming undone. And I was so afraid because I was so deeply wounded from everything that I experienced in my early childhood, uh, which I talk extensively about now. And even throughout high school and being bullied and all the suicide ideation I dealt with in high school, you know, there's like this wounded little boy inside of me that's now being hidden behind this facade of a great college football player. And I spent every day afraid that people would see people would see this wounded little boy. Um, and so I had to use my rage anytime I felt vulnerable, anytime I felt threatened. And this is why I was a gatekeeper with friends, because I couldn't allow somebody to fully see me, because if they saw me, then they would see the fraud that I knew I was. And so I'm dealing and I can't, I am the least self-aware person you've ever met in your life at this time, like the least self-aware person. And so you can't, I can't communicate this 
all I feel like is I'm a I'm a ticking time bomb. I guess I, I say that because, you know, you have somebody that is now after my sophomore year, the seventh ranked. I think I was seventh ranked uh, strong safety in college football. And that is when I hit the draft boards. That is when agents started calling and teams started asking. And I started kind of asking questions like, hey, what can I do? Like, is it is my is my childhood dream of getting into the NFL actually a possible like, is it actually a reality for me? And people started telling me, yes. So, Steve, I went on a little rant there. Uh, but I, anytime I get a chance to talk about mental health, I think we should be talking about it. No doubt. But um, I, I went on a rant, but I, I was in this place where I was like, I, I should I leave? And I remember after our sophomore year, we had um, the sophomore training. What is it? Uh, no. Yeah. So after our sophomore year and going into our junior year, we had that moment before taking the oath, you know, before saying like, we're in for the long haul here. And I was just going back and forth, back and forth. And, uh, again, it was that place of belonging. There was something that was just keeping me there. Like I couldn't walk away. Um, like I knew that there was something in me that knew because I wanted to quit so bad, I couldn't quit. You know, because when when is that going to stop in life? You know, when is that when is that going? You're setting a precedent in your life of like shit. When things get fucking hard, you're out. And so there was something in me that just said, you know what? I'll I'll stay and I'll go the distance. Yeah. And uh, you know, I don't think. I don't think I ever got to the point, um, you know, in high school was probably the only time I, I think um, I ever had a suicidal ideation. Um, and that was when I was going through, you know, I got kicked off my football team. I had to change high schools, you know, the dreams of being a college football, you know, just not understanding the big picture in life yeah. um, was probably the, you know, the one time I, I remember vividly, but, you know, just like, like you, I kind of had a breakout year my sophomore year um, against Texas A&M in the big house, you know, whatever. Um, and then I got, you know, in that whole year, I was already in trouble from that summer, like thinking I was going to get kicked out as soon as the season was over. Um, and, um, you know, it's same thing at prep school. I got in trouble at prep school for drinking. So I had to be on, you know, I was basically, you know, all, grounded for three and a half months. And I was like, dude, I'm a grown man. Like nobody grounds me. Like, I don't even live at home. How am I grounded? Yeah. Um, and wanted to leave then. And I was really strong about leaving. And then I wanted to leave after my sophomore year really bad because I was like, man, I know as soon as this football season's over, I'm going to get hit. And it, this place is going to go from terrible to unbearable. Um, but I had that same thought, Caleb, where it was like, I wasn't going to leave before I got in trouble. Mm. All right. And then what made matters worse is my spring of my sophomore year, I got named captain. So then I was like, oh, man, I'm stuck. Like, I can't leave now. If I leave, there's going to be a whole newspaper article. It sounds good, right, that I left for whatever reason because I got in trouble. I got, And then once you leave, right, you got no voice. I won't be able to tell my story once I'm out of the academy. So I felt, I felt a little trapped, even though I think kind of like you, Kim, deep down inside I knew I belonged there. And, mm-hmm. like – this is where I have to be to be successful because, you know, like you said, you got in trouble. Like if you went to a regular college, I, I don't know if if my sophomore, junior, senior year in football ever happened. I don't know if I ever, you know, become the player um, yeah. I was if I didn't have that structure um, and kind of those, those, you know, my buddies keep me accountable. Like we need you. Um, Absolutely. So I, I told you know, and and obviously. Yours was a, uh, you know, your situation was more severe and, you, you know, 
someone telling you you're depressed when you're 20 years old for the first time and you're like this is the way i've been living for the past six yeah. years <laughs> what do you mean I, like it's just life um yeah that had to have been um just kind of like you know you're sitting back like no nobody's ever told me that um, yeah thanks um and then before you know i never heard that story about them prescribing you the pills or that or if this is going to take away your age but as you're telling as right now caleb as you're telling that story i knew you weren't going to take those pills at the mm -hmm. end of that story um just because of who you were at the academy and just kind of like just hearing the way you know you know um you know how you've got to that point in your life uh, yeah i was like man there's no way he went back and took those uh nah. You know, 20 years old, like, like you said, like the draft boards are calling, man. Like I can't, I can't jeopardize any of that. Like this is life. Um, yeah. I honestly didn't know how to live without feeling so angry. Yeah. Like I used to listen to like, you know, that song by Eminem called rabbit run and man, that motherfucker is so angry in that song, like so angry. And I would walk and you know, you see like you have to walk from class to the fucking buses and get bussed up to the stadium every goddamn day. I would just put that on repeat in my ear over and over and over just to get me angry and get me going. So and you're that already I could angry because you got to walk everywhere in those low courts, yeah. man. Like and my knees and ankles hot. are already, I'm already pissed off about that. So, um, yeah. So what, yeah. what, um, and you might've mentioned, I just want to kind of bring it back. What you, you, you were taking that oath. Who are you with? How did it go down? Did you actually do it that day? Did you wait? I have a couple buddies that couldn't go to school that first week. Uh, really? And uh, like, I, dude, I need I need more time. I was like, dude, you've had two years. Like, come on. <laughs> like, you're, I know you're coming on Friday, all right? So just come on. Don't don't. Yeah, I took it. Work. I remember I took it. Um, uh, I was with uh, Chewy and Jordan and and Rock and Elliot. Um, and I ended up taking it. And truthfully, after I took it, I got my shit together for the most part. My first, my my plebe and yuck year were the more challenging years for me when it came when it came to discipline, uh, just because of the you know the pressure that I was internalizing and that rage that I was internalizing and that bleeding over in my life. And it's not that that went away. Uh, my junior and senior year, uh, I just knew that I could not fucking get in trouble. Like you get kicked out now, like you're screwed. And I knew I had two battalion boards, two brigade boards. And so I should have been, there should have been some things, uh, either the discussion of being turned back or released. But honestly, it was kind of, uh, you know, with football um, and just when people caught wind that I was going to try to leave, I knew uh, who was the athletic director. Um, Kevin Anderson. Kevin Anderson kind of stepped up and stepped in um, and we had a long conversation. And so I kind of got my shit together uh, for the most part where I, I, I held it together a little bit better. I hid a lot of things um, a little bit, a little bit more efficiently. Um, but yeah, my junior and senior year, my junior year, I blew up my knee though. Yeah. And that, that was, was, a uh, that was at, at air force, right? No, that was at Tulane. Oh, that was at Tulane. That's right. Okay. Yeah. We were playing uh, you, down there. Did and you I, did you play? Did you play Air Force your junior year? Um, I can't remember if I did play or not. Um, that was the week before. Tulane was the week before Air Force. 
Yeah. That's right. Um, I just remember how um, – I just remember my freshman year. I remember I was at Air Force your senior year and kind of like the – all the – all the background, you know, all the outside noise that when you, you know, you only play special teams, you can listen to because you're not playing a lot. Um, like about how important this game was for you. Cause you were, I couldn't remember yeah. if it was like the last game you played the year before or the game you missed or something like that. I, I just remember well, I, that being a significant um, kind of headline around your senior year. Cause everyone was ready to watch you, you know, fill the alley again, you know, coming down from strong safety and stuff like that. And I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely didn't. Yeah, I miss Air Force and I miss Notre Dame and I miss Navy. I remember Notre Dame though because Brady Quinn was a quarterback at Notre Dame at that time and Jordan Murray had picked him off. Um and it was like Brady's first interception in like several hundred pass attempts or something. He was like he had just set a college record or was setting a college record and Jordan ended up getting a yeah. an interception I think on a tip ball. Well, let's, uh, let's not forget Jordan. Let's not forget old Brian Tremura picking off Matt Ryan. That uh, Boston College. <laughs> that's uh, one of my that's one of my favorite memories. Looking back as a as a freshman on that team, just Chewy picking off Matt Ryan, and then you know, thirteen years, fourteen years later, <laughs> just seeing how that played out. So that guy, I just talked to Chewy today. Uh, uh, we he would probably still talk. We would still talk about that shit. You know what we would talk? We'd make fun of him for because afterwards. Well, for whatever reason, he he jumped up to like celebrate, yep. and this guy he got like two inches off the ground. <laughs> I I remember you guys making fun of him back then for that. <laughs> yeah, that was like our our big thing that we made fun of him for. <laughs> but yeah, and then uh, senior year, I think um, you know what was the senior year? I had some I had some good games, uh, and I played good football. Um, my senior. Year. I think there was like uh, Tulsa. Um, yep. That was a good game. That was my senior night, uh, but that was a lot of fun. But then again, Army or against Air Force and Navy, I just got the shit kicked out of me um, during those two games. Yeah, the, yeah, the, um, the team that you guys had, right, your senior year, Steve, and you were a freshman on the team, there, there was some talent on the defensive side. It's just yeah, some – I don't know – no, I think it was, you know, like we talked about earlier, Sal. I mean, it's Coach Brock's first year That's true. as head coach. Um, he had to fill in some gaps uh, as far as, like, coaches leaving. Um, for the most part, right, it was an in-house hire. Um, so a lot of the guys stayed. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, at least for me, uh, you know, this is the only thing I know about Army football, but there was definitely just, um, at least what I experienced as a freshman was there was a lack of identity mm-hmm. um, in that in that locker room my freshman year. Um, as far as like, you know, this is um, you know what kind of what kind of, you know we had shinebackers in the locker room, but like only like half the guys wanted to be shinebackers. I don't know, it, 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 very small aperture, right? From when you're a freshman, you know, role player to by the time you're a senior where you're talking to everybody about everything, you know, everyone's asking your opinion. Um, You know, from where I was like, look, this is, you know, I told Coach Ellerson, like, hey, this is this is what our team is going to be like. We can't mess this up. Like, I know it's your team, Coach, but 
We cannot mess up this identity that we have. Like we are assholes and we believe we're better than everybody. Like, don't, yeah. don't try to mess that up. Like by saying like, you know, whatever, motivating us by saying we haven't won anything yet or whatever. Like we're going to believe we're going to win every game. So um, not having a lot. And I, you know, Caleb, I don't know if coach Brock brought you into those conversations or, you know, I know you talked, you had a pretty good relationship with Kevin Anderson. I had a good relationship with, uh, with Kevin, who's uh, out here at Air Force, right? I'm in Colorado Springs. Oh, yeah. Yep. yeah I'm, I'm out here in Colorado Springs. I saw you got hired in, at Air Force Academy, and I'm like – Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I actually hit him up uh, – I hit him up on LinkedIn, and we just never uh, – we haven't been able to set a date, but I want to go up That's there awesome. and have lunch with him and just, you know, just catch up. So, but, yeah, That's anyway, awesome. back, back, back to that, Caleb. The, uh, the senior year um, year was, you know – it was frustrating um, to, for uh, me as a freshman, like just kind of like, man, it was almost like an underachievement year where we there is definitely games we could have won. Yes. That, um, we just didn't know how to. Uh, yes. How to yet. It, it was there was that season too. That was the miracle at Mikey season, right? That oh, yeah. Two main yeah. Game, and you think that that would have gave you guys maybe uh, a little bit of a spark, but then. You know, I'm looking at the schedule. Central Michigan and Georgia Tech were the next yeah. games. Then you just Central Michigan was a, a heartbreak. We should not have lost that. Georgia Tech, we got our ass kicked. They were a good football team. Uh, Rutgers was Rutgers my senior year. The Thursday night game against Ray Rice on ESPN in uh, was that shit the, rain. That was a sleet rain. Yep. Oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Ray, Ray Rice. Uh, I remember that game because I actually played defense because we were getting beat. And I tackled him for loss, and I was like, man, this is easy. Next play, I hit him at the line of scrimmage, and he ended up with a nine-yard gain with me around his ankles at the end of it, but I hit him up high. Uh, but another yeah. funny story about Georgia Tech, I think they had – who was the receiver they had? He had, like, three catches. Yeah. He had, like, three catches for, like, 160 yards and three tugs yes. or, one, or two tugs. Um, it yes. wasn't – I keep wanting to say it was Calvin Johnson, but I don't think it was Calvin Johnson. No, it wasn't. It was uh, – I forget, but it was a beast. But I got hit – so I was on kickoff return team, and I got hit so hard from their second-string linebacker. Talk about rage. This guy was like – should have been their starter or something. He got in trouble, whatever. He hit me so hard that when I got hit and my legs went up in the air, I pulled my hamstring because my leg flung up so fast. And I was like, oh man, that's bad. <laughs> uh, but yeah, their receiver was was dirty. Um, he, I mean, I swear he had like three receptions for like a hundred yard, one hundred and fifty yards, and then he was out. Like he didn't play the rest of the game. Well, they yeah, had- I remember him, but I can't. Oh, remember they his had name. that. Um, what linebacker they have? Aaron. Um, um, he was like a number four pick that year. Aaron. Uh, yes. No, it wasn't Aaron Maven. Uh. I forget, but he was a hell of a linebacker too. They had um Demarius Thomas on that team, and they yes, also had that's who it was, Choice. Demarius Thomas. Yeah, De- Demarius Thomas. Choice. Yeah, yeah, there it was. Good to start choice. He was the running back, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that guy was good. No, he was that's fast as hell. Yeah, that guy was good. So, well, um, no, so that, that senior year, right, Caleb? Your senior year is over then. During the year, are you getting – talk about, a little bit about – are you getting NFL? Like, are you getting agents, mm-hmm. NFL attention that year? I'm guessing you are, right? And what, what talk us through that and what happens at – Yeah, so year. that was just like a very – and I don't know how many people like know this or, or what. Um, 
you know, at that time I got invited to the combine um, and uh, agencies are walking around campus. I remember, you know, um, now it was athletic resource management who's merged with CAA now. Uh, but there was, there was a various uh, agents that would come and they would talk to me and they'd bring me to the, what was the cadet little uh, convenience store that we had on campus? Oh, the, uh, the it wasn't the C store. What was that called? <laughs> oh my God. It was right above uh, Gold Coats. It was above yeah, Gold yeah, Coats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right there. They would bring me there and like we'd sit down and have a, like, I don't know, a Coca Cola or some shit. Uh, <laughs> but like, this is living the dream, y'all. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was getting recruited heavily. But at that time, also, um, I was I was having conversations with Patrick, you know, General Finnegan. And, um, you know, I, I can I can think back of times when I'm sitting at a table and the soup is there. The calm is there. It was I think the calm was General Caslin. Wasn't he the calm at that time? Yeah. Was, um, it, a, was it Finnegan or, or I guess Hagenback came later then? Hagenback was there as the soup. Yeah. I think Kazan was a calm. Yep, he was. He was a calm uh, for that first that first semester. Yeah, and he was into it. Like he really supported like all of this. He wanted it. Um, but I can tell you, like, there was countless conversations and like me sitting at a fucking table with you know six colonels, three you know three, four, five, seven, six stars or whatever it was, um, and them telling me like this is how it's going down. Um, you know, we're going to create the space for you to go play in the profession and to go play in the NFL. And this is how we're going to do it and so on and so forth. And there was part of me that was kind of in this place of there was some friction inside of my own heart, knowing that we're, we're a country at war, um, knowing that I'm not going to be following the, the path of my classmates and ultimately the way that the, where I did sign up. But then there was also a part of me that was, so excited to, to fulfill this childhood dream. Um, and that's when like a lot of the tension kind of really started to pull at me, Sal. Um, emotionally speaking, I remember I got, Jesus, um, hold on. Let me see if I can find this. I got, um, I got a letter. I have it on my computer somewhere. Um, I remember shortly after getting drafted, actually, I got a letter from, I got so much fan mail and so many people sending me, um, you know, asking me to sign this or sign that and say this or say that to them or whatever. But I remember one day I got a letter and I thought it was fan mail and I opened it up and it was a picture of Pat Tillman's grave. And there was another picture of a flag draped coffin. And then uh, the first line was, dear Caleb, you're a coward. And they said, I thought the C on your uniform that you wore your senior year stood for captain. But for your case, it stands for coward or cut and run. And he just went on for the next, you know, three paragraphs and talking just and just destroying me. And it was his son's flag draped coffin that he sent um, and told me that, you know, like I, re I recently heard that E60 did a special on me with Rachel Nichols Um uh, ESPN did the, the, the special called E60 with Rachel Nichols and I had said something and he said, you know, like, you know, before you leave the Academy, he, he just kept on going on, whatever. Um, but that's when like, it really hit me where there was this internalized pressure of my, my time in the NFL and getting drafted. Like this was no longer about fucking football. 
This was about me fulfilling my duty. This is about me giving back. This was my war to like my war to go into my battle to fight my war to win. Like this is the way that I was going to contribute, you know, to represent the United States Army and to be successful in the NFL. And that that took a fucking toll. Like a really big toll of I have not yet dealt with the rage issues. I haven't dealt with this feeling like a fraud. You know, every day people have these expectations of me now arguably higher than ever before. And I'm trying to fight to live up to these expectations. But deep down, I don't think I have what it takes. Like deep down, remember, I, I, I'm I, just a fraud. I'm an imposter. Like I'm just waiting for the people and for everyone to find out the truth about who Caleb Campbell really is. Um, and I was able to hide that all through those next two years behind my performance on the football field. But now we're talking about the big leagues. We're talking about the NFL. So my senior year got messy in terms of just, you know, going into the combine and getting drafted, but feeling all of this internal pressure build and build and build. Um, and that took that pressure into my first OTAs. Um, and that's when life got really, really blurry and messy and, and really just downright scary for me. Can you, can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, so we had OTAs my freshman or my senior year, right? So before school even graduated, before class, before we actually were commissioned, um, I went out to Detroit on weekends and had OTAs and I got the shit kicked out of me. Fucking destroyed. Um, I honestly played better football in fucking seventh grade. And it was, they moved me to linebacker. I didn't know football. And I, I, this is embarrassing to say, like I wasn't very smart um, I remember them talking about like a, a defensive end being in a seven technique and the outside linebacker playing off the defensive end. And, you know, if the, if the tackle is in a three and I remember just being like, what the fuck are y'all talking about? Like, am I back in some sort of like, what, what, what's going on? Like, is this a foreign language class? So I didn't know football and they moved me to linebacker, which is just like, you know, it's a much more technical and like more hands position. Um, and I'm used to being 10, 12 yards off of the ball. And oh, so yeah, it was this perfect. That's the biggest. That'd be the biggest change from ten to twelve to six. You know, five to seven. Is yeah, uh, and then playing with your hands. Yeah, you know, like I never had to play with my hands, and so I wasn't just I wasn't transitioning well, and so I just got the shit kicked out of me. Um, and then all the while, I know, I know I'm not going to make it on the team. And the whole and I, my 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 draft story is the biggest story of that year. Like everybody's watching me. Everybody's cheering for me. Every literally at Detroit in OTAs, they would want to talk to the first round draft pick and me, the seventh round draft pick. And so I felt all this pressure. And so I remember the day of my contract signing, um, y'all know the story, but the day of my contract signing and whenever um, I got a call from my agent telling me to get to the stadium, like something happened and I got to the stadium and lo and behold, you know, um, uh, the athletic director and every Rob Marinelli and all the, all the coaches are in the, in this meeting room. And I'm, I go in and then I hear Kevin Anderson on the loudspeaker of the telephone telling me that, Hey, that policy that they put into motion your sophomore year, um, it's been rescinded and you have to return back to active duty immediately. Um, I remember on the inside of me, like fucking rejoicing, absolutely rejoicing because I get out, without being seen, I get out and I'm not going to be exposed as this athlete that doesn't have what it takes. Nobody's going to find out the truth about me yet. And that I'm just not who people think that I am. 
Um, and so I remember Rachel Nichols from ESPN calling me and I played the part, you know, like I'm a soldier first. This is what I signed up for. And part of me believed it, but I'm trying to be America's hero here. You know, like I, I, I could play this guy that, you know, duty first and I can go to a bar and I'll, my story will be on the, the TV at the bar and everybody will buy me shots. And like, I get to be loved. I get to be accepted. I get to find my place of belonging on a grander scale. But I also knew in that time that, you know, they told me that maybe after two and a half, whatever it was, three years that I would have the chance to go back and play again. And so I did make a decision and I made a commitment to myself that I would be the biggest, the fastest and strongest I've ever fucking been in my entire life to make sure that when I got back to the NFL, I would be ready. Like I would be ready to play football. I would understand football. And so I did. For those next three years, you know, I, I went through OBC and I went to my duty station. There was a lot of still a lot of dialogue happening, a lot of people telling me one story and me not knowing. Like I, when they told me I couldn't play, that decision was actually formally made three weeks before anybody ever told me. And they waited on the day of, you know. Um, Why? Why did they do that? I have no idea. I truthfully don't know. I mean, um, as a guy that's done this for 12 years now, uh, not including West Point, it's probably because they forgot they had anybody like in that situation. Really? Yeah. And then, you know, really? someone, you know, oh. goes up to the secretary of the defense or, or the department of defense. Like, Hey, we actually, uh, we have this we guy in the NFL right now. Like, oh no, no, no. Get, call, call them, call this, call yeah. this. And everyone's scrambling to find, you know, that conference room number to let you know, like, Hey, you're not going to be able to sign today. And it's, the, the the convenience of you walking to sign your contract that day and it happening, um, you know, and you know the army's not the army's not above playing the PR game either. Okay, mm-hmm. um, you know they could have known and they they could have been, you know, on phone calls with Detroit or inner workings and hey, wait till Caleb's about to sign. Let's see if we can, you know, if we can vanilla this or or shape it a certain way. Um, you know, everybody, you know, it, it's just yeah. part of, it's, it's unfortunately, you know, it, it's part of America where timing is everything. And, you know, I mean, Caleb, you saw firsthand what happens, you know, what kind of story can come out of the day you sign your contract and it's rescinded. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting to think about it like that. Um, but yeah, I, I went back and served the, the, that time and I, I got, and, you know, and, an early release. And then I got invited to a, a workout with Detroit again um, and different coaching staff, different team. Um, and I got signed on as a free agent and I was ready. Like I, my free weight, my free agent workout was, it was powerful. Like they signed me right there on the spot. They're like, yeah, man, like my speed was, I was the fastest I've been. I was the biggest I've been strongest I've been. Um, and I was feeling good. I was really feeling optimistic. Um, even though there was still this like pent up fear and just insecurity, just driving my life crazy, I was able to kind of like stay headstrong and be like, you know, you got this, Caleb, you work hard for this. And I remember, I swear to God, I remember the first day on the field in training camp, I walked onto the field and I had this visceral moment of just this overwhelming uh, sensation, this emotional response of fear and dread and just swallow me whole and I had a panic attack I had a fucking panic attack on the football field and I started to hyperventilate and I ran over to the side of the stadium this is training camp people are like hundreds of people around and I puked 
I puked all over the side of the, the field and I knew right then I was like, I'm fucked. And I realized that there was no amount of external work that I could do that could ever actually deal the with the internal war that I was feeling, that I was experiencing, that I was going through. And so the next couple of years in the league, I literally, this is crazy, but I, I didn't actually want to play, but I wanted to be good enough so that I could stay on practice squad so I could go out and be on the NFL roster, NFL team, and people would love me in the bar. I can pick up girls. I can do all the things that I want to do that would give me this sense of belonging, that would give me this sense of acceptance. But I didn't actually want to be good enough to play on fucking Sunday because if I played on Sunday, that meant that I would, be, I would, I would risk exposure. Like the whole world would see me probably fail. And so I try to battle and to walk this line tiptoeing back and forth, be good enough, not good enough, be good enough, not good enough. And I started to really, and I didn't know it at the time, but I started to really resent myself. And I started to really, really hate myself. I, you know, I should be better. I knew I should be better, uh, but I knew I was self-sabotaging and I didn't know why. Um, and that's when it really turned gnarly to just where drugs and alcohol became my way of coping. You know, I'd be going on 48 hour benders, you know, and then showing up to practice. Uh, I wanted a way out. And I remember after one night of partying after a game that I actually suited up for and we all went out and that party ended. And then I went to another after party and it was like six in the morning, seven in the morning. And I'm just doing a concoction of pills and, and drinking and just hanging out with these bombs and thinking like, you know, I found my people in life or whatever it was. And I remember having this cognitive moment, this thought of, Caleb, you're actively trying to kill yourself right now because you feel so trapped because you can't walk away because this is your identity. This is where you found belonging. This is where you found acceptance. This is where you find life. You can't fucking walk away. This is everything. People are rooting for you. People are counting on you. But knowing that I can't keep up this facade, I can't like show up like this and live this lie. And I felt so trapped in my own life that I was actively trying to kill myself. And I remember like, holy shit, like there was this moment and I call it the grace of God where I was like, bro, you like, it's a matter of time before you take one too many pills and your parents are getting a note of like a phone call notifying them that their son is no longer there. And I hit all of this, like, because this is like, talk about like on the outside, I'm a West Point graduate. I'm an army officer. I'm this Captain American football player that everybody is the underdog sword that everybody's rooting me for. I'm a West Point guy. Like, I got it all together. I dot my eyes and I cross my T's, but on the inside, I'm fucking going on 48 hour benders trying to cope with the pain of feeling like a goddamn fraud. And so it just got really bad. And that's when I ended up getting cut, um, you know, from the Kansas City Chiefs. And my agent called and said, hey, the Falcons want to bring you in for a workout. Can you be there this weekend? And I just said, you know what, man, I'm done. I got to go figure out what the fuck happened to me. I got to go understand why I hate myself and I hate my life. I got to, I got to prioritize my mental health. Like I can't keep living this way anymore. Uh, and that's when I walked away for the game for good. Was it, um, I, I, I mean, Kev, all this stuff is, um, it's, it's powerful, man. Um, one, because, you know, not a lot of people know this um, about you, um, at least not, you know, I know your close friends and I know you, I know through your work, you tell this, this journey. Um, but this community, like you just said, who knows the Caleb Campbell from army football doesn't really know this. Um, and I'm, I'm willing to bet there's probably, 
dozens, if not hundreds, uh, of players like you that that have a facade um, that don't know how how or when or or why to get rid of it, um, and and still have that edge to play, and that's why yeah. you keep it, right? And that's why you kept it for so long, is yeah. so you could you could do it. So um, I just before we go on, I just want to say thanks for sharing this stuff, man, because it's Thank you. it's um it really is um it's powerful it's motivating it's powerful that you know a guy like you you know i was underclassmen looked up to you um and you realizing this and if you can get you know guys to realize it sooner um mm-hmm. it, it'll you know it will save lives um Thank you. that's across that's not just we're not just talking west point i mean this is yeah like you said mental health is is where a lot of the issues we have can be fixed if if we start prior prioritizing it so thanks Thank for, thanks for sharing that man and and, and i guess the the easiest thing to go is to go to is is what did you do next man like what, <laughs> you know how did you how did you break the facade and it was it just walking away from the game or you no. know, I know i know you love what you do now um mm. i know that um and i know it took some time to find that um so what was it like walking away from the game and then the process of, of putting together, you know, Caleb Campbell, you know, the father that you are now. Man, fatherhood's a fucking blessing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I left the NFL. I moved to my aunt's house. She had a big home in Colorado. I was living in the basement, and I was just just in despair and self-pity and just fucking my life was just crumbling. Like everything that I've worked so hard to maintain and to – stay in control of and to keep this facade and this image presented in this well concocted package, it was completely undone. Um, and I was confused about like, where's God in all of this? Like, what the fuck? Like, you know, just so many unanswered questions. And I remember I had just opened up honest to God, like my fourth bottle of red wine in my aunt's basement and I'm a fucking mess. And I spent almost a week and a half or two weeks in a fetal position in a fucking closet. My aunt would just come and bring food to the basement because I was just, I was completely wrecked. Um, it had no tools on knowing how to work with through it. And I remember getting on my phone, swear to God, got on my phone, drunk as fuck, scrolling through Twitter. And I came across a series of tweets <clears throat> from a church <laughs> in Canada and they were talking about essentially like, you know, in, in Exodus, when the when the exile, the Exodus, the exile, and then finding the promised land. And they were they were putting this beautiful words and imagery to these series of tweets. And it was the first time, I think, arguably ever in my life where I read something and I was like, holy shit, this is where I'm at in life. Like they put words to my personal experience. And this is why I, I, I try to create content or I try to do work to help people better understand their own stories, because I know when we can understand what's going on in our lives, we can find the courage to take the next step. It's the uncertainty. It's the unknowing of not knowing what's next. That's fucking terrifying. But suddenly somebody comes around and defines or helps put words to your experience. You find a little bit of courage to move forward. And that happened to me. And I remember looking at this church and I'm like, who are they? Did not know anything about them. And I swear to God, within two days, I had everything sold or put in storage. And I packed everything that could fit in my car. And I drove from Colorado to Canada. 
And I walked into this random ass church that I've never met anybody from in my entire life. And I walked in and I met actually was the pastor of this church. And I said, this sounds fucking crazy. I said, and I don't know if you can help me, but I feel like I'm supposed to be here. Can you help me? And he looked at me and he kind of got a smile on his face and he says, yeah, I think we can help you. I had no idea what I was signing up for. I just knew. And because at this time too, guys, like I was getting offers, job offers from a lot of former football players. You know, a lot of people flew me out and, you know, like striker med cells and these guys flew me here and flew me there. And, you know, I was interviewing, but there was something in me that knew that if something in me didn't change, like it was just going to be another football it was just going to be another NFL. I was going to find myself in a corner office with these high expectations and this demand to excel. And that pressure was going to cripple me at some point in time, like something in me had to change. And that's when I decided to move to Canada and I walked into this church and I, honest to God, I became the janitor of a church and I cleaned toilets and I helped old people to their seats. And I slept on a basement floor in a boiler room of the church on a two inch mat um, in a, in a little, uh, space heater, uh, for five years, for almost five years. And I went to therapy each week and I started to unpack the, the childhood trauma and the pain that I had internalized into fuel and ambition, uh, that was actually pervading any ability to live a healthy and happy life. And I just started to connect the dots and better understand not only who I am, but why I'm here and how I can really learn the tools that I can apply to my life when I'm feeling, you know, the anxiety or the panic or the dread or the worry or the depression, having these tools around my, you know, proverbial toolbox to better understand how to go through this journey. So I did that for about five years. And then I was kind of fully committed to like, you know, anybody that ever walked through these church, this church, you know, if they needed help, I would help them. Like I was committed to stay there. And this is a small town in Canada. Um, you know, like I was willing to give my life to it. And I was sitting back in the back of a church one Wednesday afternoon. And we had just gotten done with a meeting because I was like on the leadership team at that point. Um, and I had like no ties with this church any longer. And I, I really wouldn't even class myself as like an evangelical Christian. I think my faith has evolved uh, into a different way. But I was sitting in, in the back of that church one day and I remember like it's time to go. And I was like, wait, what? And it was the same voice, the same knowing that I knew to not go and pursue a career and to go to Canada to begin with, that thing came bubbling up inside of me. And I was like, it's time to go. And I was like, well, where the hell are we going? And then long story short, uh, a random person reached out to me on Instagram and flew me out to Los Angeles. And I worked with this business for a moment, but that's when I realized I would, uh, that's when I realized I was supposed to move to Los Angeles. And I would just continue to follow this journey of what, where's my heart leading me? Like, what's my body telling me? Where's my heart leading me? Where's love calling me next so that I could deepen and root my life in a bigger experience of love and expansion and compassion and empathy? Because this is where freedom is. I tasted freedom and I never want to go back. Like, I tasted it and I never want to go back. And so it's just been this ongoing journey of saying yes to my heart, of saying yes to what's next, of opening myself up and allowing myself to stand on the edges of my life and to feel that vulnerability and to learn how to heal uh, the broken parts of me and the parts that have been so wounded and to forgive myself and allow me to be forgiven by others and so on and so forth. And so I've just kind of been following the journey of love and kind of following my heart um, ever since then. 
What, is, what, uh, what do you do uh, now, Caleb? Are you doing this? Are you speaking? You're doing keynote yeah, speaking so now? I've been speaking for the last four years full time, actually. Um, I started a company picked me up. Uh, they found me on Instagram and one company uh, four years ago picked me up and started placing me in schools. Um, so for the last three and a half, three years, um, I was working with that company full time and I would just I would get hired as a, a speaker to go into schools and to really combat teen suicides and school shootings. So I'd go in and I'd create these ecosystems of, of emotional safety and I would engage and, and have these really hard conversations and necessary conversations uh, with students to help them feel more seen, to help them learn how to process their own story and process their own pain, these social and these emotional tools that they can apply to their lives, not only so that it can change their lives, but so also they can start shifting the stigma around mental health inside of the school culture. Um, so a lot of culture work inside of schools and a lot of one-on-one -on -one with students inside of schools um, as a speaker. But then for the last year, uh, I've been heavily focused on corporate America, actually, in the intersection of leadership and emotional intelligence. Yeah, and, um, <clears throat> you know, we, we the, the Army has kind of pushed that as well, right? You've seen, you know, from the time when you first, you know, stepped onto West Point and you, you know, talked about the military and then, you know, now, you know, our, our motto is people first, right? And, and seek you know, seek help, see mental health. Um, I, I want to say that, um, you know, we're getting there, but it's almost, you know, for me, I feel like there's still so much stigma and there's still so much like kind of like hidden, like, uh, secrets about mental health mm -hmm. where it's like, yeah, go get mental health. Like you'll be good, man. Like, like we totally understand, but like, the same people that are telling you that behind the scenes are like, okay, just making a note of it. Like, okay, yeah, he's he's got yeah. he's got some things he needs to work out. Um, and that's where that and that's just how I feel. And that's not anything, you know, there's no there's nothing behind it. It's just I, I just feel like unfortunately, as as a society, um that that'll be tough to break because it's been like that for two hundred and you know, forty years. So yeah. Um it's, a, it's an uphill battle. Yeah. Well, that's, um, yeah. do you still live in Los Angeles, Caleb? No. So we moved to Los Angeles. Los Angeles. We moved to uh, Nashville. I met, actually, I was living in Los Angeles and then I got invited. Um, 12 people from around the country got hand selected and invited to Kentucky um, for a, a retreat for first time book writers. Um, and so 12 of us who were in the process of writing our first book got invited for this like really massive retreat, 12 people, hands-on, they got publishers, they got editors, they got writing coaches, all came. And then I walked in and I met this girl. And then I, after literally a three hour conversation with her that night, I was like, holy shit, I just met my wife. Like I knew that I knew that I knew I just met my wife. I um, mean, she happened to live three miles down the road from me in Los Angeles, but we had never met each other. Um, and so we got engaged, you know, five months later and and married a, a few months after that um, out in Joshua Tree in California. And then COVID happened um, and all of our friends and community, they left and they moved to Nashville. Uh, and so we followed them to Nashville. So we're, we're here. And yeah, uh, when did you, uh, when you move to Nashville? About 15 months ago, man, I, dude, I literally lived in, I was at Fort Campbell uh, last oh, year. <laughs> so we literally, you probably, when did you move in there? February timeframe? Yeah. 
February 1st. Yeah, so we left in June of last year. So there was definitely oh, wow. some definitely some crossover that um you know, you know, whatever, but could have had a yeah. beer, I guess. <laughs> but uh my wife loves uh you know Fort Campbell surrounding area, and then she obviously loves Nashville. So Nashville, yeah. uh, I got about, you know, God willing, I got about eight more years of this. Uh Army life, and um, hopefully I make it back to Fort Campbell at least once. Um, nice. If anything, just to make sure my wife stays happy. You know what I mean? <laughs> no. But I that is – um, man, Kale, I, I honestly didn't know what to expect. Um, you know, and this has been uh, this has been incredible, man. That story is – and I know there's a lot more to unpack there, and I know there's yeah. a, a lot more things you can go into detail about, um, but I'll definitely um, – be tuned into some of your things a little more. Cause this is, you know, one, you know, you're like a big brother to me, even though we, you know, through the years, you know, obviously family happens, life happens. I don't know how I was supposed to get a hold of you when you're on a two inch mattress anyway, in Canada. <laughs> but, um, but uh, I, I'm glad I, I'm very thankful that you, you took time to not only be on our podcast, Sal, but yeah. um, you know, share that with us. And uh yeah. You know, I will definitely um, do a better job of keeping in touch. Yeah, um, please. That was um, that was some powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Thank you guys for having me. And yeah. Steve, like I know it. You know, this isn't this isn't a self depreciating comment, but I wasn't a good person um, back at the at West Point necessarily, and I did some shitty things and I made some shitty decisions, and I know I hurt you some at times, and I just want to publicly acknowledge that and honor honor you in the process and say truly that I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I, make amends, my brother. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. And you know, look, we kind of, we, we said it before, but who we were at 18, 19, 20 and 21. I mean, it's just, if you're the same person at 34, 35, 36, 37, you're, you're probably not doing what <laughs> life was supposed to happen. So, yeah. uh, you know, Kev, you'll I always be that. a brother to me, man. Like I that, appreciate you. Steve. I will, I will never, that'll never change. There's nothing that can happen that can change that. So I, I just, again, uh, you sharing that stuff, man, is, is it's powerful. And I hope, I hope somebody watches this and, and it changes it. It changes their life. Cause that's how powerful, um, your story can be. So I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank I think, there, I think there's a lot of people that just look at you, Caleb, as Caleb Campbell, the last army football player to be drafted. Right. And then when you hear your story, I think that's going to really, uh, uh, it's a very powerful, and I think it's really going to open up people's eyes to say, "Hey, it's it's not all about that, right? There's there's more to life than just about mm-hmm. um, the NFL here." Because I know, like right now, I I'm I wrote a story this week about Andre Carter possibly being the first round draft pick next year. You know, right? Yeah. Well, I'm looking like there hasn't been a first round draft pick in Army since the '40s when there was the glory days and stuff. But hearing your story, you know, you have to be all right with yourself before there's, there's certain things that have to be in place for you to get to that level, not just skill wise and physical wise. And we learned that Absolutely. today. I mean, it is incredible, man, guys, if, if you're watching this podcast, please check out our YouTube channel. I don't know if we have as Steve, I don't know if we have as powerful a discussion as this one, but we have some really good chats on our podcast Um, from maybe some of your teammates. I was looking like Greg Washington back in the day. I've had right. Greg Washington right. on this podcast. He's a guy that is well. Doing great work. Yeah, I mean, a bunch of guys, but Caleb, man, I'm so glad we were able to get you on. Um, check this out; it's going to be on our podcast um, audio platforms too. And Caleb, when you're done, when 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 this book, I was going to ask you about the book real quick. Um, 
when the book comes out, please let us know. We'll get, we'll, yeah. we'll definitely get the word out on it. I mean, I think it's going to be something that people are going to want to read and, um, please let us know that too. So it's been great having you, you out. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Sal. So great to connect with you both. Yeah. Kev, we'll stay in touch, brother. All right, guys. Have a great night.